Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Dawson. He is a trans man who is basically an open book, and with his partner, they are expecting a baby early next year. And so he's here to kind of just talk about his life and the things he's got going on now and some things he's been through. So thank you so much, Dawson, for being here. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about yourself? Yeah. Um, so in, in terms of being trans, I uh, probably first knew or identified as being trans at a, at a young age, probably prior to being four. Um I, I would actually say that, like, for a long time, you had to convince me that I, I was a woman um, being brought up that way um, before I could ever um, realize that I was trans. But, but, but moving forward, uh, I didn't come out until I was uh, 20 to my friends, 21 to my parents. I didn't start to transition until I was 24. I'm 33 years old now, so I've been on hormones at this point for about like 10 years, um, and and I guess that that's where I'm at today in terms of transitioning. So you took a while before you were first getting on testosterone, even though you knew that you were trans once you kind of had that terminology. So can you talk a little bit about what that first, like what those first moments were like for you now that it's been about a decade? Uh, yeah. Uh, so my partner today um, was with me when I started actually hormones and she will say it was like a hot mess. I was like, no, it was great. I felt great emotion. I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm living my best life. And she was like, you were a monster. <laughs> um, she says that I was like a monster for the first like two years. And I'm like, no, I think I just felt, I felt good about myself. However, going back to kind of like, I think your first question, which was, um, what was that, that, uh, that period in between? I will say, I don't know if other people have experienced this, but like I was in a relationship with someone who didn't want me to transition. And I was like very happy in that relationship. And I was like, anything you want. Now, I, I, I too, at times, I don't, can't speak for other people, but uh, wanting to date for a long time and being trans and being in the closet, I couldn't date. And then when I found my first girlfriend, I was like, anything she wanted, like went. <laughs> like, I'm like, any, like, sure, you don't want me to transition? Great. I, I'd love to not transition. Uh, she knew that I identified as trans. Um, and I don't like hold that against her by any means. I think that it was just like, I, I think she very much felt like she really liked who I was and that felt too foreign to her, like to see someone transition. Um, not to say that that's like, okay for someone to be like, no, you can't do that. But I, I, I understand her feelings. Um, and, and that was kind of the reason for me not transitioning for kind of almost three ish years we were together. Um, and then after we broke up, it was really when I started dating again that I realized I needed to kind of transition because I was in this dating pool where I was like, Hey, I, I very much presented myself as a female and people were like, Hey, I get it. You're a lesbian. And I'm like, no, 
I identify as a man. I know I look like a lesbian. Uh, not that that's like a definitive look, but I was like, I, I, I get it. And they were like, no, yeah, but you're a lesbian. And like, I will say that there's physical things that I wasn't like, your, your average lesbian's like, oh, I'm cool with this sort of sexual interaction. And I wasn't. And so I found myself in these dating pools where I was like, all these people just kind of see me as someone they're attracted to and didn't, and they saw that first and they didn't see the fact that I was like, Hey, I'm not okay with this. This is how I identify. And, and I realized how important that was. Cause I was like, yes, I was in this relationship before where I was like with someone who's like, I identify as a trans man, but I, look, I present myself as a woman. And they were like, okay, cool. I get that. I know what that means. But then when I started dating again, I just kind of felt like, yes, maybe I'm someone who's so progressive that I can just be like, yes, I know I look like a woman, but I identify as a man and that's how I'm going to you know, present myself. But it kind of really felt like the rest of the world's not ready for that. And I don't see myself dating in that world. I don't see myself existing in that world. Whereas uh, I know that we kind of spoke before, but I kind of see a world today where Maybe we're starting to get to a place where people can be like, yeah, <laughs> you present yourself as a woman and we see you as a man. Like may maybe we're kind of making that progress, but at, at least in my timeline, I was like, no, if I want people to see me the way I see myself, I need to make this change. So when I was, yeah, 24, I started hormones, uh, I started hormone therapy, which was a whole ordeal. I don't know if he spoke to other people about that process, but it was very, um, very detailed. Like uh, at least the person, like the, the therapist that I worked with that was willing to, to recommend me to a, a doctor, um, you know, you have to go through your entire sexual history. You have to talk about like, the type of sex you had, the number of partners you've had, uh, very intimate. I mean, I hope that that has changed for people. Um, because I find it very unnecessary to, to reaffirm your trans identity. Um, but that was a whole thing I went through um, prior to starting hormones. And so now that you've been on hormones for 10 years, we were talking a little bit earlier about kind of what you're going through now. So do you want to share with the audience what's happening with your hormone treatment? Uh, yeah. So I, I unfortunately experienced... Um, uh, this situation recently where I went to the, like, so I, I had, uh, since I started this new job about a year and a half ago, um, I, you know, on new insurance, had a doctor, um, uh, and I would say provided good care. And then my doctor was leaving the, the facility and said, and I, so I asked them, I was like, Hey, do I need to find somebody else? Can you recommend me to someone? And they said that they felt that uh, someone within the facility would be able to provide me similar or, you know, similar health care. And I was like, okay, well, I guess that's good enough. And so when I needed to um, establish a new doctor, I went to the facility and I said, hey, you know, here are the medications that I'm on. Um, you know, I'm looking to someone to continue to prescribe me these medications and um, the person that I met with said, we're not comfortable prescribing you testosterone. And so again, like having heard from my uh, former doctor, 
I was like, oh, well, she said someone at this facility, you know, would be able to, to continue to prescribe me. So I was like, well, if you could just ask around within the facility, you know, let me know who can prescribe me testosterone, like that would be great. And, and again, I was really le- leaning into the fact that this doctor had told me this and then she followed up with, no, no one at this facility is comfortable prescribing you. Like here are some other towns that you can go to. And I, I know that like, at least like one town in particular, it's not far away. It's not like I can't go there, but I had a lot of feelings around the fact that they said that they weren't comfortable. And I unfortunately have experienced more than once in my life going to a doctor who said, I'm not going to prescribe you testosterone. And <laughs> you're just kind of like, you prescribe people estrogen. You put lots of people on birth control. It's a very similar hormone. Um, and why this? Why me? Why this? Why aren't you comfortable? There's there's a whole lot of loaded feelings around that. And um, it, it was upsetting. So I, 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 fortunately for me, so I work for Bucknell University and I, I met with other people at this LGBT coffee hour. And I asked them, I was like, hey, is anyone here? I know that the university provides trans-inclusive health care. And I was like, has anyone had any experience with trying to get the student health care? Like, so I was like, maybe I'll just like show up at the university and they'll be like, yes, we give people testosterone. We'll give you testosterone. And um, a few people were like, no, it's actually really difficult to like get in uh, with uh, the student health care center if you're not a student. And so fortunately, someone in the group was like, oh, my wife actually provides that service in Danville. And like, you know, she, she, you know, you should go see her. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's great. But I was like, why, why do you think that this other facility isn't able to do this? And they're like, oh, it was actually a training. And they probably haven't gone through that training. And I just kind of had this moment where it's like, why couldn't they've just said like there's a training that we want people to have gone through before we provide you this service i still at this moment don't know is that something they actually know is that what they actually feel uh, but here's this other person saying they've done the proper training that's why they do this kind of treatment and i just like i, I don't know i still have these feelings around like do you know what it means to people when you say i don't feel comfortable I don't feel comfortable providing you this healthcare. Um, it's re- it's, it, it, it hurts. It feels like they're making a judgment on your life. They're not okay with you being trans. They're not okay with the type of treatment that you're seeking. And they don't approve of it. Which, again, at this point, it's like may or may not be true. Like, that still could be hypothetically true. But I just wish, you know what I mean? I, I know that no one's perfect. It's not a perfect system. Uh, it's something, you know, I, I try to do my part to, to provide feedback that is inclusive and helps people in the future. But that was a moment where I was just like, I really wish what the conversation was, was different. Yes. And it makes a lot of sense. And the fact that you were able to find someone and with relative ease, you had the network to be able to go to, to then find someone and you didn't have to 
completely go throughout while you went through an experience you shouldn't have to have gone through you now have a doctor who can take care of your medication needs and hopefully that doctor doesn't leave (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so speaking about doctors, your partner is currently pregnant um, and you're what? looking forward <laughs> and, and you're looking forward to welcoming a child into your life. So can you talk a little bit about what that experience has been like? You know, super fortunate. No, um, I, yeah, I, I'm, yeah, very happy that me and my partner, um, we've gone through the IVF process. And, you know, she's pregnant and we're due uh, January 25th. I'm super excited about that. Um, Yeah, like one of the things that was really hard for me, though, was, and I kind of was like in denial, at least at at some stage, was um, the fact that my partner, um, yeah, being in DEI and kind of knowing lots of, like, People, people in the in the conversation were telling us that we needed to reach out to a lawyer um, uh, for just legal rights reasons. And I know some of that had to do with the fact that we used to live in Texas, uh, where she we both worked at Texas Tech University, and I know there were some different legal systems um, that existed in Texas that, like, fortunately, like those kind of constraints don't like apply to us now. Like one of the concerns that we were going through was um, a, receiving a Texas donor. Uh, if a donor, if our donor was from Texas, that they had the rights to petition the court system for paternity. And that was like a, Oh, well, <laughs> we don't want to do that. We want to definitely be like this kid's ours and no one's going to petition um, something otherwise. But, um, uh, yeah, anyways, we, we were kind of told that we needed to reach out to a lawyer. So we did. And it was kind of, I don't know if it, I don't think it was news to my partner, but it was news to me that I, that they highly recommended that, um, we adopt or I adopt. Um, and I will say that there's this whole feeling around this, this adoption that, eh, it's, I don't know, it's rough because I kind of felt like for me to adopt my own child, like, you know, we, we picked the donor. We, we did this whole process together. I was there when, when they, they made the, the, the egg transfer. I, I've been there this whole time. Like, and for me to be kind of told like, Hey, if you want full parental rights to this child, like you need to adopt, it felt like, I'm giving into this system. I'm saying, yeah, it's not really my kid. And I will say, I reached out. I reached out to my mom, as I do. And I'm like, I'm upset about this. I don't want to do this. I feel like I'm giving into this system that says, yes, this isn't your child. When I agree to, to adopting my own child, I'm saying, yes, it's not my child. That's the reason I have to adopt. And I will say my, my mom rephrased it. She's like, you need to look at it as you're a parent and you do anything for your child, anything to protect them. And I was just like, you're right. And I'm, I mean, it's, it's not easy, but I was just like, you're right. I would do anything for this kid. And so I need to reframe what I was thinking around, even though I'm not happy about it, 
reframe it around providing for your kids, like providing any way you can. Um, So it's a thing that I hope that maybe in the future, like, isn't an issue or isn't a thing that people are like, you need to go do this thing to have full parental rights. But um, yeah, that was a real emotional process. And and I guess it's still a process right now because I can't really like fulfill the the rest of those kind of like uh, legal requirements until the baby comes. Um, but, But yeah, that's where we're at. So obviously you've been there through the whole process. You are the parent. You will be there for the birth of your child. What is the plan? Like legalities aside, like you'll adopt the kid. You're the parent. Great. What is it going to be like after you have a kid? I don't. That, I don't. Uh, so I, I know, like, I don't know. I feel... We were talking about earlier, I, um, for me, I think there's this huge change and shift and, uh, I hate to be dark, but like going back to, I'm seeing a counselor when I first came out and stuff. Um, I remember like meeting with the counselor and they're like, okay, what do you picture your life looking like in a month? And I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> what do you picture your life looking like? Obviously, if you don't picture anything after mom, you don't really picture anything. But like the biggest thing that's changing for me is I really see like this future where I'm like, I've, <laughs> I, it's so dark at times, but like I, uh, it was someone who never saw a future for myself. I was someone who was in a really dark place. And even, even there were times where I wasn't in a dark place. There was, there were times where I wasn't like, Oh, I'm feeling suicidal or I, I don't see my life continuing, but I'm in this place now where I'm like, yes, I'm going to have children and I want to see them grow up and I need to be there for them. And I had this whole picture of that's kind of like a little like uh, to me a little like like uh very stereotypical that's just like yes i want to be there and I'm, that my kids are gonna have kids and i'm gonna you know be pop pop <laughs> and 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 all these things and i think that it's scary and great for me as someone who for so long didn't see anything past today um again i say that as someone who's like i very much love my partner we got married like we've been together uh, at this point i think eight years and we've been married for one year and but at the same time it's like i was very happy in this relationship but it's there's something about at least for me having kids that's really changed how i view life that's changed how I see my future that I think is happy. And I don't know, it makes me want to cry, but <laughs> that is very happy and, and I'm looking forward to. Yeah, happiness can bring emotion and that's okay. <laughs> so do you have you and your partner like planned and talked about how you're going to parent? Uh, like, 
Yes and no. So I think I think the, I think moments like come up. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that I, I, honestly the most general conversation that has happened around parenting is uh, I don't know for people out there who have seen um, a modern uh, modern family. But she's like, you're Phil Dumphy, and I'm Claire. And she's like, you're the fun parent, and I'm not. <laughs> and so we talk about that constantly. I'm like, I. She's like, she's like, but it's good. She's like, like I think early on when we talked about it, she was like, no, it's good. It, she's like, it's okay. They or actually, I take that back. <laughs> early on, she was upset that I. She was like, you're gonna be the fun parent, and I'm gonna be the one who's like instills all these rules. And, and then I think she saw that episode. I don't know if people have seen it, but the episode where Phil Dunphy's like, he loses his, his crap and he, he duct tapes the kids' hands to their, their laptops. And he's like, you can't, if you're not going to listen to me, you can't have electronics, you know? And she's like, that's you, Dawson. <laughs> like, you will lose your cool. You will like go absolutely ape and you will become this like, um, a uh, very authoritative, you know, um, figure that that just lost their mind, and I'm like, yes, I, I, I fortunately agree, and so we've agreed that I'm going to be the fun parent, and she she'll be she'll be the one that enforces the, the the rules. Yes, and will you be able to take off a lot of time after the baby is born? So I don't think we talked about this before. Um, uh, I'm fortunate. Uh, for the fact that uh, fortunate, but it's also unfortunate. The university actually allows four weeks paid vacation for adoption. So I applied for the adoption leave. Um, now at the same time, my wife's actually working on improving that policy for all the university and fingers crossed that's going to go through in the next year that people have even more extended leave than that. Um, we'll see what, you know, we'll see what happens, but um yeah i'm yes i'm gonna i'm gonna be on leave be with the baby um oh. <laughs> crazy times yes and what are you looking forward to most as being a parent i can't okay this is so lame um i so i love like Justin makes fun of me one of the things i love i love curating shows for people i love getting to know people's humor and then I like, like, oh, this is the perfect show for you. I love comedy. And the thing I'm looking forward to most is when my kids are old enough of age for me to curate shows for them. Where I'm like, this is the show that you would love. And I'm like, what kind of mood are you in? Like, like what, what kind of what kind of mood or like like mood are you in for a particular show? I'm like, I know the perfect show for you. <laughs> like, is that weird? Yeah, it's a little weird. <laughs> That's okay. And it, it, I think it goes back. I think it goes back to, you know, you're able to look into the future to be excited about what's to come. Um, and it's something that you love doing for others. And therefore, you'll be able to pass on that love to your kid as well. Yeah. So you've mentioned a little bit and because I also work at Bucknell with you and your wife, um, how she works in DEI, um, in the diversity, equity, inclusion space. So how do you as a trans person like kind of interact in the inclusion space when your partner is so heavily involved in it? This isn't a good answer. Um, I'm very resistant to it 
sometimes, sometimes I, I don't know. I don't know how other marginalized people feel when they're in these spaces, but sometimes I feel like the conversation is often not for them. It's for the heteronormative larger community um, at play. And again, I don't know. I love my wife and I appreciate all the work she's doing. Sometimes it's hard for me to be in like those spaces, whether it's her <laughs> teaching it or someone else. And one of the things, I don't know, it is a recommendation or or just in general, like my vibe. So I, I, I remember having a coworker recently being like, hey, sometimes I don't really like being in these DEI spaces. They make me feel like bad. I don't know, like, like, like you're doing something wrong. And I'm like, I know that I don't like necessarily being in them either because I feel like I'm being talked about. I feel like I'm a trans person and I'm like, here's people talking about me and like what it is to be a trans person. And I'm like, I have to sit here and listen to this, but I, I engage it in this way that I'm like, yes, but if I don't sit here, th these people sitting next to me don't get to learn about this. Cause I know that like at least this one individual that reached out to me, they were like, why don't you just say like to someone like you don't like being here. And I'm like, because it's so important that these other people are here. Yes, I might be upset. And yes, maybe I don't like sitting here through this because I feel like I'm not the audience. But it's so important that the other people in this room are like, oh, I learned a little bit about something outside of myself that I will set, I will gladly sit there and be like, I don't like this and just shut my mouth. Because, because it's important. It's important. It, it's like, it, it, again, like, yes, I don't, I don't always love it, but it's important for people to be exposed to things. And I'm like leaning back into this situation. One of the things I said to this person, I was like, how many times do you like in your day-to-day -day life, do you find yourself in a situation where you're exposed to things outside your comfort zone? outside what you know you would you would experience in a day-to-day in -day interaction probably not often i know i don't like i live in my comfort zone i live like even even as a queer person who like i don't know maybe is exposed to more i experience more of these things day to day and here's someone who like you know like unless you're kind of forced into these other environments, you don't see these things. And I don't know. I just try to be like, I shut my mouth and I'm saying, I'm willing to be a part of this experience. If it means that other people get exposed to things that they normally wouldn't. And do you have any recommendations or any ideas on how to make those spaces more inclusive when some of the conversations are about people that are in the room. So we're talking about being inclusive and maybe it's being inclusive with people of a different gender or of a different race. And then you've got someone who's living that lived experience right there next to you. It, it, I can't, I can't, I don't know. It, you either drive with this or you won't, but like, I think the best thing maybe to maybe, to do in that situation 
is to be the voice, to be the person who speaks out to your own personal experience. And I say this as someone who I have felt that me speaking out to my personal experience, to my like immediate coworkers has meant a lot to them. I, I've kind of seen in their lives where they've been like, wow, I, I can just kind of tell, like it wouldn't have meant as much to them if it had been some giant, large lecture. Um, and so I don't know, just kind of like leaning, leaning in towards trying to better those around you or at least just provide the experience. Now, at the same time, I know like it's no one's responsibility to be like, I'm going to expose my life to those around me just for their own benefit. But I know I do it. Sometimes I get hurt. Sometimes uh, some people say things, they hurt me, but I do feel like overall I've created more good than I have experienced hurt. And that is so good to hear. Now, because you're so open and like you want people to hear about your experiences and if you, you know, think you're in a safe space, at what point do you start to disclose that you are trans like and especially because you just recently changed jobs like when was it like hey i'm open about my identity i'm trans <laughs> i i will say with, the, with this job change in particular i so i'm fortunate for this but like uh the last the past two jobs that i had i did not disclose until after i had the job and only after I felt comfortable with the people I worked with. This job that I had now, when as soon as they were like interviewing me, I was like, hey, you need to know this about me. Um, before, kind of before you hire me, I actually was before they hired me, I was like, you need to know this. Like, it, like I, because I kind of got to a place where I was like, and, and this has to do with kind of like a little bit where I'm at um, professionally. Where I'm like, if this job didn't work out, I did feel like, oh, there are other job opportunities out there for me. But I did. I was like, hey, I told them before they offered me the job, I was like, I'm trans. This is, you know, this is a thing. If this is going to be an issue, kind of like I don't want to be hired. And I know that, like, I'm fortunate for being in a place career wise where I can do that. I know that not everybody's there. But when you kind of feel like you're getting there, I think that that trans people deserve to be like, put that out there because you don't deserve to work for a place that doesn't support you. You, You're in a place where like, when you get to that place where you're like financially, like, yes, there are other jobs out there. Find a place that that's not going to hate on you because like you don't deserve to work with someone where you have to closet yourself, where you have to hold that in where that that's on you. Um, so I did put myself out there with this job because I, I felt like I'd gotten there where I was like, I have enough job opportunities where I can say, Hey, I'm trans. If you're not cool. And at the same time, like there's, I'm not going to say that there's not going to be hurt where you're like, I was a great opera. Like I was a great fit for that job. I had, I should have gotten hired for that job. But you don't work for people who don't care for you. Work for people who care for you. Do something for them. You know what I mean? Like that. If, you know, institutions, like I'd like to think institutions will fall if they don't, <laughs> they don't embrace trans people, but that, that, that's not the truth. Um, 
but but you deserve more. And I I have trouble valuing myself. I know that I do, but try to value yourself. Try to say, I'm going to set this bar. Um, again, like there are some like uh, interpretations of when, when, when are you there? When are you at that place where you're like, I can afford to say no to a job. Um, but when you get there, you know, hold your ground. Can I ask what the response was when you shared that you were trans before getting the job offer? (laughs) Uh, Kind of no response. Um, They were just like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, I I think they were kind of shocked and surprised um, and also didn't know what to do with the information. Um, Not not in a bad way. They were just like, again, I told them and they were like, oh, okay. They, 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 they had almost no response in this way. I, I do think they were surprised, but they were also like, uh, and I'm fortunate in this way, like I think the team that I work with was very like, we care about, are you qualified? And they'd already decided that I was qualified. So I think I was just informing them, and I'm trans. <laughs> and they were like, oh, okay. The person we like is trans. <laughs> and... I like to think that I still had a powerful impact and a positive way on, on this team that I've been a part of. Um, It's a process. Yeah. Do you think there would have been like a good answer to that? Like, because it was kind of sprung upon. I, I mean, like, I think, I think deep down, I'm like, you're like, I love trans people. And you're like, yes, yes. You're like, I found the right group. Um, I, I think, I think, I think deep down, like, there's this like idea that like, that would be some great answer, but there, there isn't. I think that that's the thing that's like really difficult amongst the community in general is that people come to you being like, uh, for example, I, I know my mom when she was like in like I'm from a small hometown and there are people who come up to her and they're like, Hey, how's Allie doing? Allie being my my former name and and she didn't know how to respond. And she'll be like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, no one knows. I don't know what to do. I I don't I would also like to have someone say, doesn't, here's the answer. When someone asked your mom. <laughs> how's Allie doing? This is what they say. And no one knows. And, and, and I guess it's the thing is like, if anyone in this audience is, 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 a, is, is a family member or something like that of, of a trans person, no, we don't have the answers either. We're all trying to figure it out together. We're all trying to be like, I would love to have, and it's like when I run in and I've been in the situation where I run into someone from my hometown what, that hasn't seen me since I was a homecoming queen. OK. <laughs> and I'm like, remember me? <laughs> like, I don't know what to say to them. I would love to have this like, oh, everybody knows what you say when you're trans now, but you used to be the homecoming queen. No one knows that. No one knows what that is. I would love to know what that is. But you just kind of have to play it by ear. And and so for so for people who are sometimes, I know like my mom has looked at me before and been like, what, do, what am I supposed to say? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to say when I interact with those people. 
I wish I had an answer. I think you have to play it by ear. If somebody comes up with something great, please share it here. <laughs> yes. Now I'm going to latch onto the fact that you said you were homecoming queen. Yes. Um, <laughs> what was that experience like for you? Um, fabulous. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I, so my mom was homecoming queen when, when, when she went to my high school. And I remember thinking like, oh, it'd be cool if I was homecoming queen because my mom was homecoming queen here. Um, I remember winning and, and there was a lot of periods of time in my life at, at that point where I was like, if I can perform this level of femininity, femininity well, I don't know if I can say that, <laughs> that I've done it. That I kind of thought, I don't have to come out. I can do it. I can, I can find this space. But, but if you can perform this, that I made it. I remember thinking, I like that was kind of my whole thing into going to college. I, I got to this place in college where I was like, if I get into a sorority, I did it. I was planning to to have a husband and to to sleep. Like I didn't want to, but it's like I'm going to sleep with a man. I was like, I'm going to do it. That's the goal. That's the objective. And I didn't know I, I had no interest in that, but I was just like, these are the things that are put on me by society. These are the things that people say, like, we have these expectations of you. And I was like, if I can do them, then I did the job. There's like some sort of like in my head, there's this job. If you do the job, you get the check plus and you get to graduate, move on. And I wanted it so much. I thought being a homecoming queen was part of it. I thought being in a sorority was part of it. And I tried all these things. And what I found, which I think many other trans men have probably found, is like, you're not happy. You're not happy because it's you, it's not what you want. And, and I kind of just for the longest time thought, well, if I can do these things, if I can perform femininity in these ways, if I can be homecoming queen, if I can have the, 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 the f- f- frat bro <laughs> counter partner, I will like, I will do it. And you're just not happy. And at some point you just have to say, well, I'm going to choose happiness or nothing. And, and, and I think that's the point I got to. And I think honestly that one of the hardest things for me for coming out was like all of a sudden you go from having an identity to having no identity. The hardest part for me was I was like, oh, I like the color blue. And then you're like, you, you're like, you come out and you're like, I've been lying to myself for years. I have no idea what I even like. It was, it was a really dark place where you're just like, I don't even know who I am. You're like, I don't know what color I like. I don't know what shows I like. I don't know what friends I want to have because you've built this giant, massive lie just to, to, to appease society. And have you figured all of that out? Like, you now know? Um, no, I, I don't know that I've fully figured it all out because like one of the things that was so hard about that period of time was like you're like 
I've spent 22 years building a person that wasn't real. I spent 22 years building this person that was just like, I think people would like this person. And I'm 11 years into building a new person. So 11 years from now, I'm hoping that, yes, I will know who that person is. I don't think that I don't know who I am today. It's just that's a long time to feed into a person that's not real. And and it, it's hard. It's hard not having an identity. It's hard rebuilding an identity. Um, all those things are difficult. Yes. Now, do you find yourself leaning more into masculinity and shutting the femininity? <laughs> um, honestly, I think I feel the other way around. I'm like, I, so, so I think I, I define my like former feminine self as my inner gay boy. <laughs> and I'm like, no, honey, like that, <laughs> that, like, that's not working. Uh, I, I, I don't really feel a whole lot into, I, I don't care a whole lot about like, oh, I'm a trans man and I need to be super masculine. I'm like, no, it's fine to be a fit. I, I'm really like comfortable with myself, which I feel fortunate for. But at the same time, like I, um, I don't feed into that a whole lot. I don't feel a whole lot of insecurities around my masculinity which I'm fortunate for, but at the same time, I think I'm unique too. I think a lot of other trans men feel a lot more pressure to be masculine. And I'm just like, I think, so one of the things I, I've described to um, my partner is it's like, when you're queer and you're part of this conversation, it's just like, you're kind of innately queer, like, I don't know. Um, you're innately non uh, part of this dichotomy, this like you're masculine or you're not. And I think you're just part of this, like this group that, that uh, doesn't feed into that. I think that makes sense. I think it's, um, it might be hard for people to understand, but um, I think it's important to, to showcase, you know, your situation, how you've, you know, transitioned through everything and to where you are now. So at the end of all of my episodes, I do ask all of my guests a question that does not have to do with anything we have talked about. So my question for you is, how do you make tough decisions? How do I make tough decisions? Flip a coin. Easy. Um, uh, tough decisions. I, I think in general, I'm some kind of person who's all about sleep on it, sleep on it, you know, like uh, tough decision. See how you feel in the morning, like think about it all night, but see how you feel in the morning. I'm like, I'm all about a gut feeling. All right, that brings this episode to a close. I want to thank Dawson so much for sharing everything with me today. And if you would like to hear more stories from other trans people or anything, all of my past episodes, they are all on my website. So feel free to go check those out. That brings you 
to lots of good resources and lots of good links. And of course, it brings you to our social media for the podcast, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you'd like to go follow those pages, feel free to. And if you'd like to share your own story on this podcast, feel free to email me. That is directly in the description. And if you'd like to support the podcast monetarily, there is a link to do that as well. So thank you so much, Dawson, for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time. Bye. 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 Thank you.